From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Upstate has a leading role in a demonstration project in Onondaga County that is designed to reduce suicide deaths. The program is part of a five-year grant from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's Zero Suicide Grant. To talk about this project, Dr. Christopher Lucas is in the studio today. He's an Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So tell us how Upstate got involved in this project. Well, Onondaga County has been selected as one of the sites um, to implement this. Um, And then as part of that, all of the agencies that provide mental health services uh, to adults uh, were invited. And then uh, due to my particular expertise in suicide prevention, I got involved. Okay. Wow. So they call it zero suicide. What is what does that mean? Well, it's it's really a mindset that suicide uh, as one of the major public health issues facing the nation and the world um, needs to be addressed to really try and drive down the suicide rate. Um, zero suicides itself is probably an unrealistic target, uh, but it's a goal. Um, I think a more reasonable target probably is a reduction in, in about 20% in the suicide rate. Okay. And to reduce um, attempted suicides as well, I guess, right? Uh, certainly. I think that uh, attempted suicide is, is the major risk factor for completed suicide. Um, so all of the efforts to reduce suicide will also reduce the attempt rate. All right. So what's included in suicide prevention best practice trainings? Because that's what part of this is. Yeah, is, so right? part, uh, you know, the initial part of the zero suicide is to bring people together and to have it as a, a, as a focus. Um, the next part is training. Um, and really, uh, the training is probably in, in three components. Uh, the first is identification. Um, when you go to the doctors, you have your blood pressure checked routinely. You, you aren't asked about suicide. Um, and I think the mindset is that asking about suicide starts to become routine. Uh, that you, it's done as part of general health screening. Um, following this sort of screening, then there is training on uh, more accurate identification um, and in terms of determining somebody's suicide risk. So do you want uh, suicide questioning to be part of a regular checkup? Absolutely. So um, it can be as simple as two questions. Um, have you thought about suicide? Have you attempted suicide? Um, and so people may answer correctly. They do. Um, you know, there's a lot of thought that if you ask somebody, you're going to put the idea into their head, but there's actually no evidence that that's true. Um, when people are asked, they respond. Well, and it could be sort of a surprising question that might, you know, you suddenly realize, well, there's somebody who cares enough to ask. Right. You, you know, know, suicide and mental health generally has such a large amount of stigma, both societal stigma and personal stigma, um, that People may be suffering and having these symptoms, but just don't report them unless somebody asks about them. All right. Okay, so that's uh, identification, right? Right. Um, what, what would be the next? Um, the next is would be treatment. Um, so there are two. Uh, there's one novel treatment that's being brought over from Switzerland where it showed a dramatic uh, reduction in the future uh, suicide rate and suicide reattempt rate, um, which involves a, a two to three session uh, brief treatment uh, where someone makes a videotape re- relating their story about their suicide attempt. Uh, then in a second session, that's sort of debriefed. And then thirdly, 
uh, and probably most crucially, um, a safety plan is established so that someone, um, when having suicidal thoughts again, has a concrete plan of what to do and how to cope. So this is done in concert with a psychologist or psychiatrist, a mental health professional? It is, um, though within the uh, Zero Suicide Project, uh, there's a, a specified uh, programme being set up on Madison Street um, called Attempted Suicide Short Intervention Programme. Um, and people can be referred there following a suicide attempt um, and then get this brief intervention and then carry on with their regular care. Okay, all right. So is that treatment considered adequate? Is that enough? You know, that's one component of treatment. Um, I think the other um, component of the zero suicide model is really engaging. Um, so getting someone connected within treatment with, and crucially that People don't get lost at various fractures in care. So the transition from inpatient care to outpatient care or from one level of uh, care to another. Um, so it's really about being mindful of someone's suicide risk and connecting them. Um, there are some additional evidence-based treatments that are being promoted, uh, dialectic behaviour therapy or cognitive behaviour therapy for suicide attempters. Um, so there will be training in those modalities and also uh, greater availability of them. So is this training, uh, the best practice training, is that meant for health professionals or other people in the community, or both? Um, I think it's probably for all. Um, this particular project is primarily for health professionals, um, but the whole concept of asking about suicide and screening for suicide is one that extends beyond um, health professionals. So um, first responders, um, teachers, um, community professionals. And, and also families, in that people could ask um, a family member when they feel that they might be suffering. Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Christopher Lucas. He's an associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences, um, and we're talking about the Zero Suicide Grant and Upstate's role in that. Um, I, I want to ask you about suicide rates, because there have been some high-profile suicides in the news lately, celebrities. Um, and, and I think I remember that the overall rate of suicides has been rising. Is that correct? It has. You know, over the last 15 years, it's risen, risen by about 30%. Um, worldwide, someone dies by suicide every 90 seconds. Um, certain demographics, the suicide rate has increased uh, quite a lot. So middle-aged um, individuals, their suicide rate has increased a lot. What is that attributed to? I mean, there's got to be a lot of research. There's a lot of factors. Um, you know, the, some of the, th the thoughts are uh, less cohesion within a society. So at times when people lose their jobs or uh, relationships um, are less together, and when people don't feel connected to a society, um, the suicide rate tends to increase. Um, there's a lot of untreated mental illness. The majority of suicides, um, celebrities included, um, are the result of untreated or of poorly treated mental illness. Wow. You mentioned less cohesion in society, and it seems almost ironic because here we are at a time when social media has exploded during that same time frame. But You know, I think that's probably the opposite of, of social mm -hmm. cohesion. Um, so uh, people can see other people having good lives and, and having great meals and great parties and but they are feeling miserable themselves. So, you know, exposure to social media actually is associated with an increased 
rate of depression and probably, probably suicide. can make it worse. Yes. You know, I think when families are less together, when there's greater mobility, when there's more disruption in families, um, it tends to increase. You mentioned depression. Are the depression rates um, rising as well? Modestly. Um, that uh, they are generally increasing and they're increasing at earlier and earlier ages. Um, so the suicide rates in preteens are increasing, even though they're very small. Um, it's really quite worrying. Yeah, in younger in younger people. Hmm, interesting. Well, let me ask you what advice you give uh, to friends or family members if if they have someone in their lives who they're concerned about. Um, maybe some you mentioned job loss maybe someone who's lost their job. At what point should should someone become concerned? You know, generally, concern is usually when someone's functioning changes, so they become more socially withdrawn, less interested in things, less able to care for themselves. Um, a useful mnemonic to think about is called ACT, A-C-T. Um, so when someone um, is ha struggling, you first acknowledge that, that they're struggling. Um, so that's the A. And the C will be that okay. you care. Um, and then T is tell. You tell somebody, a professional, you try and get some help. Um, so the first is showing that you care and that you're actually going to get someone to help them further. Right, because you may not be the right person. No, you're the right person to give them support. You're not the right person necessarily to treat or to right. assess. Okay. So um, if you do notice that someone's functioning has changed, um, who are who are good people to tell in the community? Um, you know, a primary care doctor is probably your first port of call. Their um, pers that person's primary care doctor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, encourage them to see see their primary care doctor to express your concerns about them. Um, you know, obviously, there's a variety of mental health professionals, social social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, who can do a more detailed assessment. Um, there's always emergency rooms that uh, when you, if you feel someone's in crisis that they can get an assessment there. Um, there are suicide helplines that people can contact um, either for concern about themselves or concern about a loved one. It, let me ask you, is it normal for people throughout life to hit low points where the idea of suicide does enter their mind but, but they're really not equipped or, or set up to act on it, but the, but it flashes through their mind as an option. You know, it's probably not normal, but it's fairly common. Fairly common, okay. <laughs> so right. um, I think the, the, the crucial attribute that makes uh, one type of suicidal thinking different from another is the uh, concept of intent. So you have some thought about suicide, but you have no intent ever to act on it is a much less severe than you have thoughts of suicide. Um, and you have some intent, even if it's vague and not well planned. So thought versus intent. That's yeah, a good exactly. Point. What about uh, a person who has um, maybe attempted suicide? Um, can they? Can you recover from that? Can you get far enough away from that that you're not going to think of that again? Um, people who die by suicide, um, about fifty percent of them, they this that was their first attempt. So. Oh. Attempting is definitely serious, um, but most people who attempt don't reattempt. Um, reattempting definitely increases your rate. Um, I think it really depends as to how you process and how you're helped um, by the suicide attempt as to whether you're able then to get adequate treatment or uh, to change your environment in some ways. 
adequate treatment, that might be the key then. For sure. For sure. So what about the use of antidepressants? There's a lot of different medications um, on the market. Are those effective in helping reduce suicide attempts? Um, you know, suicide attempts um, are generally associated with depression. Um, and depression is treated in a number of ways, um, by psychotherapy, um, and also in certain cases by antidepressants. There's a lot of misconceptions about antidepressants, that they are addictive, um, but they are not. Um, that then once you're taking them, you're on them for life. That's usually not the case. You're, you're on them for a certain period of time. Uh, there was concern um, a few years ago about taking antidepressants actually increasing suicidal thinking. Um, and although there was some data to support that, overall, most of the data from numerous studies in many countries show that increased rates of prescribing is associated with reduced rates of suicide. Um, particularly people who've been previously hospitalized, whether or not they receive an antidepressant after they're discharged has a big factor in whether they um, attempt suicide again. So it might be the type of thing that's used um, temporarily. Uh, you know, generally you would use it for something. a period of time, so maybe six to 12 months, um, if that's your first episode of depression. If, if it's a recurrent episode, you might take it for somewhat longer. Um, antidepressants um, don't really correct an, a chemical imbalance, as is often popularly believed, um, they essentially strengthen the brain in order to maintain positive mood more intrinsically. Um, and those changes, that brain strengthening takes a while to develop, so that's why you take it for that period of time. So if you're taking antidepressants or you're prescribed them, um, would you also perhaps have a therapist as well? Ideally. Uh, Ideally. The combination of both is far better than either alone. Um, oh, good to know. Yeah. Well, thank you for this information. I appreciate you being here. It's uh, encouraging that we have this um, program in place. Um, so we'll check back in with you to see how things are going. Great. My guest has been Dr. Christopher Lucas. He's an associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.